Um, Kathy, can you put the, the words, the chorus, back up there to, to this song? Um, <clears throat> most of you have probably heard the name Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby was a prolific hymn writer. She, she wrote more than 9,000 hymns in her life. And Fanny was born blind. She, she never saw anything in all of her life. And as we were singing this song, it made me think of that. She was once asked about her blindness by someone. And, and if basically if she wished she had been born with sight, if she was able to see... And her response was quick, it was immediate. She said, no, absolutely not, because I know, unlike you, the very first thing I will ever see is the face of Jesus. What a day that will be when my Jesus I will see. Great reminder to us, thank you for putting that up there, for singing that song this morning of the, the glory that we have to behold when one day we get to see Jesus face to face. Before we turn our attention to Luke chapter 14, which is where we will be this morning, I just want to remind you again of the, the training coming up August 17th for disaster relief. You, you see that announced there in your bulletin. And on the connection card here, if you've not already filled that out, I want to encourage you to go ahead and do that. Southern Baptist Convention Disaster Relief is one of the largest relief ministries in the nation. Um, in fact, with their, when there is a disaster that strikes, a hurricane, uh, tornadoes, any sort of natural disaster, anything of that nature, when the Twin Towers were attacked in New York on 9-11, Southern Baptists were mobilized. We have groups right now at the southern border to provide relief and help uh, for people who are there. Uh, 99% of the food that the American Red Cross serves in disaster zones comes from the Southern Baptist Convention Disaster Relief Ministry. And uh, this is an opportunity for you to be trained before a disaster strikes. Lots of times there will be a hurricane or something that will happen and people will say, well, I need to be trained to be able to go into those areas and help. Uh, well, it's too late at that point. We need you to go ahead and be trained now. The only cost involved with this is a $36 fee that covers all of the training materials and covers your certification so that you can go into these places uh, when the Federal Emergency Management Association declares a, natural, a, a national emergency, you're able to go in and help. And we've got the classes that are offered there, the introduction class, session two, you pick one of those classes, session three, you're able to pick one of those classes. And so I want to invite you just to please go ahead and take advantage of this training that's being offered here so that when something happens, you're able to go. And don't just think, well, you know, I, I work full-time or I'm a student. Uh, go ahead and do the training now because in the summer months, students, you're able to be a part of this as well. But it might be the case that there is a local tragedy of some sort and we're able to go help and you wouldn't have to take time off of work or things of that nature. So I just want to make a plug for that again. Be sure to go ahead and get uh, signed up for that, to be here for the training on August 17th, to be a part of this uh, ministry, to, to really be the hands and feet of Jesus to people who oftentimes have lost absolutely everything 
within their lives. Now, let's turn our attention this morning to Luke chapter 14. I want to just set the the setting for you again for where we are and what's been taking place here. We began this chapter of Luke 14. It's the Sabbath day, the day of worship for Jewish people, and Jesus has been invited to come to the home of a Pharisee, a religious leader, a lawkeeper, if you will, the, the most religious of the religious people. Uh, at the time. And Jesus has been invited to come to the home of a ruler of the Pharisees. Uh, A multitude of Pharisees would be there with him and they were always seeking to trap Jesus in some way because he he was doing things that they didn't think fit really into their mode of doing things. The Pharisees had taken the law that God gave and they had extrapolated from that all sorts of other laws that they felt like it was imperative that you keep. So for instance when you have the law that you are to honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. They would determine exactly what that meant. How far can you walk on the Sabbath day without it being considered work and therefore not a violation of the Sabbath law to not work on the Sabbath? Uh, One of the laws that they had was you could not carry an orange because that would be considered work, but you could cut an orange in half and carry half an orange and that would not be considered work. And so they had all of these man-made regulations that they put around the law of God. And they said, if you violate these man-made regulations, you're violating the law of God as well. And so Jesus is at this dinner party. There is a man there who is sick. He has dropsy, fatal disease more than likely. And Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees, that's a no-no to them because that violates their man-made rule. It wasn't a law of God. God never said to not heal on the Sabbath. It was the man-made rule because they said by act of healing, you're doing work and therefore you're violating the Sabbath and you're no longer keeping it holy. And then into that, Jesus gives a parable to the people. And what he does within this parable is he points out the hypocrisy of the people who were making these rules, these man-made regulations, and basically said, you all are being hypocrites because you really don't care about people, you just care about your control of people. So you can imagine how awkward that would have been in this dinner party with all of the Pharisees there. And Jesus essentially says to them, you're a bunch of hypocrites. And there is a deafening silence that takes place quiet as a cemetery at midnight in that room. And so in verse 15 of Luke chapter 14, there is one who wants to break the silence. Jesus has finished in verse 14. He says that that you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. In other words, take care of these people who can't do anything for you and God will repay you at the resurrection of the just. And then it's silence because the Pharisees weren't known for doing that. They did for others in in expectation of what would be done back for them in some way. And so then it becomes silence and this person pops up. When one of those, verse 15, who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Okay, great. We're going to be repaid when we get into the kingdom of God. So blessed is everyone who's going to do this. On with the party. Let's eat. 
That's kind of what's happening here. Let's break the awkward silence. Let's move on and let's continue with what we came here to do, which is to eat. Blessed indeed are those who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And then it's almost as though Jesus says, yeah, let's talk about that while we're here, by the way. Blessed are those who will eat in the kingdom of God, but let's understand who's going to be in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus gives this parable. Let's read it together, verse 16. But he said to him, Jesus speaks directly to this man now, he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I, cannot, and, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. It's interesting to me that Jesus compares salvation to a feast. That's what he does here. He talks about being invited to this great banquet and he couches it in terms of salvation, in terms of what this person has just said. Blessed is everyone who's going to eat bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus comes along and he compares salvation to this great feast. And yet when you look at a lot of Christians walking around, you would think that for them, uh, this, this idea of salvation, it was either a fast or a funeral. It's not a feast because we just walk around, oh, everything's so horrible. And yet Jesus says, we've got this feast of salvation. And when you come to Jesus, you come to a feast of everything that he has to offer. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, salvation extended to you. It is a feast that Jesus offers to those who come to follow him. And Jesus says in the parable, first of all, that these invitations are extended. You read about this in verse 16. This man gives a great banquet and he invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to them, come for everything is now ready. Those two words that are put there, come for everything is ready. Everything is is ready. Everything has been taken care of. God has already prepared the meal. God has already prepared the table. God has done everything that there is necessary to be done for someone to be saved and enjoy this feast of fellowship with Him. Everything is now ready so that there are no delays, no detours, no discussion, no distraction about any of it. Everything is ready. Just simply accept the invitation. Now in the culture in which Jesus lived, there were two invitations that would be given. It's kind of like we do today. We've, we've, we've begun this practice of save the date. 
And so you'll get these little postcards in the mail. A couple is engaged, and they'll send out one of these postcards, and they'll say, save the date. On thus and such a date, we're going to be married. That have all the details about it, just simply save the date, mark your calendar. In other words, don't put anything else on that date because we're getting married that day and we want you to celebrate this with us. And so the same thing would have happened here. There, was two, there were two invitations. The first one would go out and would say to all of the people that were invited to be a part of this, this is the day we're going to have a feast. And it would sometimes go out months in advance of the actual banquet itself. And so you get this invitation, the servants have gone out, and they tell everyone, save this date because on this date you are invited to a lavish banquet at my master's home. And then... When it got close to time, the date is here. And see, what would happen is, it, it really depended on the, all of the, 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 the preparation, getting everything done. And then on the day, once everything was completed, the master would send the servants back out and tell everyone, you can come to the banquet now, everything is ready, everything's taken care of. So here's what happens with that. The invitation goes out, save this date. On this date, we're having a banquet. The day comes, the, the servants go out because everything's been prepared, and they say to those people, you all come on now because everything is taken care of. So you've gotten two invitations. It would be unthinkable for you to receive the first invitation and say, yes, we will be there. And then when the second invitation comes, you to say, no, we're not going to make it. But after the invitations are extended, we find the excuses that are offered, and these are excuses to that second invitation that comes. Look, look at this amazing turn of events in, in verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. Everyone. All of them began to make excuses excuses. The door is open, the host is waiting, the plates and silverware are in their place, the centerpiece is exquisite, the dishes are filled to overflowing, the servants are standing by, but no one shows up. And one by one, the people begin to make excuses. All of them. We read right here, all of them alike began to make excuses. They're all singing the, the same song, just in a different tune. We're all making excuses, and you know what an excuse is, by the way, don't you? An excuse is nothing more than a lie given as a reason for the truth. That's all an excuse is. Just a lie given as a reason for the truth. And here's what they say. Look at how flimsy these excuses are. Let's begin with the first one in verse 18. Somebody comes along and he says, Hey, listen, I bought a field and I have to go see it. Please have me excused. This is a man whose problem was his wealth. This man had a problem with wealth. He had dollar signs for eyes is what he had. He bought this property, and yet we're supposed to believe he had not investigated it at some point. Now, any of y'all ever done that? Any of y'all ever bought property uh, sight unseen? No. Ludicrous. You would never do something like that. But let's suppose just that this man was, was, was ludicrous. Let's imagine he was just an idiot. 
and he did buy this property sight unseen. Does he think that the property is going to get up and walk away while he is at this banquet of some sort? No. No, and beyond that, when a banquet is given, it's going to be later in the day. It's already going to be getting dark. Why is it that this man didn't come to the banquet? You know why he didn't come to the banquet? Because he didn't want to. That's why he didn't come to the banquet. He had no interest in being a part of this banquet, and so he gives this excuse, this lie as a reason for the truth to say, listen, I bought some property, i got to go check it out now, I cannot come to this banquet. And so then we have this second flimsy excuse, verse 19. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Now if you're going to buy five yoke of oxen, this, this is a big rancher. This is not just a small-time farmer here. You couldn't work but one yoke of oxen, but this man here, he has five yoke of oxen. And this man's problem was his work. First man had a problem with wealth. The second man has a problem with work. With him, business is always coming first. I'm too busy going out to make a comfortable living. I I, I can't be at your banquet, I'm sorry. But again, who is going to buy five yoke of oxen to take care of all of your land without having seen it to begin with, without checking them out in some way. You may not look a gift horse in the mouth, but if you're going to buy it, you're going to look it in the mouth. You're going to investigate it. Why didn't this man come to the banquet? Because he didn't want to. He didn't want to. And the lie that he gives as a reason for the truth is because he's got this yoke of oxen that he's got to go check out. So then we have the third excuse that's given. This man doesn't have a problem with wealth. He doesn't have a problem with work. This man's problem was his wife. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Now, gentlemen, let me ask you. Who of you have ever heard of a woman that didn't want to be taken out to a nice dinner? Be honest. Most women would love to get all dressed up, be taken out to this formal dinner, hobnob with the rich and famous, wine and dine free of charge. This would be a dream come true for most women. I heard about a couple several years ago. It was late in the middle of the night. They were asleep in bed, and all of a sudden, just almost out of nowhere, this tornado comes rushing through. It rips the roof right right off of their home, grabs the bed they're sleeping in, lifts the entire bed up, spins it around, sits it down about two miles away from their home. The the husband is ecstatic. Everyone is safe. Everyone is good. He's just had such a great roller coaster of a ride there, and the wife starts to cry. The husband tries to comfort her as any loving husband would do. Honey, don't be afraid. It's all over. We're all right. Everyone is fine. And she said, I'm not crying about that. I'm not crying because I'm afraid. I'm crying because I'm so happy. Do you realize this is the first time in five years we've been out together of the house? This wife would love to be taken to this banquet. Why doesn't he go to the banquet? Because he doesn't want to. And so the lie that he gives as a reason for the truth is, I've got a wife. All of the excuses. Why why does Jesus 
list these excuses for us. These, these were just indicative of the excuses that all of the people offered. The reason that Jesus gives us these excuses is to remind us that there is no valid reason, no legitimate excuse to reject God's invitation to salvation and fellowship with Him. And what's interesting is these things in and of themselves are not wrong. There's nothing wrong with owning land. There's, there's nothing wrong with, with owning oxen. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with, with wealth. There's nothing wrong with work inherently. There's nothing wrong with having a wife. In fact, God's Word says that if a man has found a wife, he finds a good thing. Husbands, did you ever notice that God doesn't say the reverse? Yeah. But see here, and I want you to get this. Understand this. Whatever it is that gets in the way and comes between you and Jesus is wrong. It becomes wrong at that very point. These things were not bad in and of themselves, but they become bad because they are used as an excuse to skip out on the banquet that God offers. Some of you right now, Let's just be honest, okay? Let's just be honest. Some of you right now have come up with every excuse in the book you can think of to not receive salvation. For some of you, it's the excuse, well, I, I'm just not good enough yet. That's right, you aren't and you never will be. That is a lie that you're given as a reason for the truth. It's because we're not good enough that we need salvation. Some of you say, well, I just want to get a little bit older and I want to live life more before salvation. You don't know what life is until salvation. People live in all sorts of excuses as to why they can't live for God, why they can't accept His invitation. And one excuse after another, and it's flimsy, it's like a spider web over a fireplace, it's gone. It means nothing. But thankfully, the host doesn't give up. Even when all of these people reject the invitation that's given, the host doesn't give up. He reissues invitations, but he does it very, very deliberately. Look at verse 21. The servant came and reported these things to his master. The master becomes angry, and he says to his servant, get this, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city. Bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. The servant goes and does that, and they bring all sorts of people in. There's still room at this great banquet. And so verse 23, the master says to the servant, Go out to the highways, the hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be Field. The host doesn't give up. He doesn't take the no of many to be the no of all. He says, no, we're going to go get those who will accept this invitation. We're going to go get those who have nothing to offer. Look at how they're described. Poor, crippled, blind lame, 
Jesus has just talked about hospitality and opening up your life to those who cannot repay you. And here he says, this is exactly what happens when it comes to God's banquet. Because see, the master of the home in a parable like this, this master of the home represents God for us. The first invitation goes out. Remember, Jesus is surrounded by the religious leaders here, the people of Israel. The invitation has gone out. The prophets have spoken of the coming Messiah. And all of these people have said, oh yes, 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 we're looking forward to that. But then the second invitation comes in the form of Jesus Christ himself. And they say, no, we don't want it that way. That's not the way we want this. We want physical deliverance. We want to be delivered out of the bondage of the Roman Empire. We, we want all of this, the, the goodness, the gladness, the joy of physical deliverance. We're not looking for spiritual deliverance. And so they say no to the invitation that's extended. And so God says, go out. Go out to all the other nations talking about us, talking about the Gentile people. He says, go out to the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. When you see someone who is poor, who is crippled, who is blind, who is lame, do you know what they realize a whole lot more than you realize? The fact that they're poor and they're crippled and they're blind and they're lame because they live in it day in and day out. Obviously, Jesus uses this physical description to speak of a physical deprivation here, but it's much more deep than that. Jesus is talking about us who are spiritually poor. We have nothing that we can offer to God. Even the very best that we can offer. God says, it's just a filthy rag. Throw it away. Spiritually, we're crippled. Can't do anything to get us to God. Spiritually, we're, we're blind. We can't even see who we are, much less who Jesus is. Spiritually, we're lame, unable to move towards Him. But God in His great grace extends His invitation. He says, come in. Those of you who are crippled by sin, those of you who are blinded by the ways of this world, those of you who are lame, Come in. They didn't offer any excuses. You notice that? They couldn't offer any excuses. None of them are going to be able to buy land. You need to check it out. N none of them could buy oxen to work their field. They didn't have a way to work. They didn't have property to work. They couldn't handle oxen. They weren't, they weren't given in marriage because who's going to have them? Those are the very ones that Jesus says, I want you. I want you. 
These are people who would be ecstatic to come and eat at the master's banquet. I want you to notice this. Because you see, we're all over this parable. We're everywhere in this parable. We're not the master, but we fill just about every other role that there is. We're the ones that make excuses because how often do we make excuses for not living for God as He's asked us to live for Him? We're the ones that reject the invitation. Some of you today have rejected the invitation to salvation. And God is still there. We're the crippled. We're the poor. We're the blind and the lame who can't do anything to afford our own salvation, but who Jesus extends it to. And we're also the servant sent out by the Master. Notice who it is to go, verse 22. The servant said, Sir, what you've commanded has been done. There's still more. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges. Go everywhere. Give this invitation to the down and out, the up and out, the all and out. Give it to everyone. And see, let me, let me just close with this this morning putting ourselves in the role of this servant. Someone loved you enough to share the gospel with you. Someone loved you enough to share the gospel with you. Who are you going to love enough to share the gospel with them? So I have, I have a couple of questions for you here to wrap up. First of all, have you accepted the invitation to come? To just come to Jesus and enjoy the banquet feast that he offers? Have you come? Have you trusted him? Have you by faith come in repentance, embracing Christ alone for salvation? If you have not done that, I urge you to do that. As, as Jesus tells us here, I come and I compel you, I beg with you, I plead with you to trust in Christ today. To step into the banquet that Jesus offers. If you've never done that, come to Christ today. Believe on Him. If you have done that, I ask you, who are you loving enough to invite them to come? To invite them to come to the banquet. You see, Jesus will save anyone who comes. He will save anyone who comes to Him. Will you come to Him? And then will you beg with others to come to Him as well? Father, we're grateful to You for this moment for this time, for this reminder of what you have given to us in Jesus, this great banquet, <clears throat> this great feast of righteousness and holiness and total sufficiency in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray today that if there is one, if there are several who have not yet come to Christ, that this might be the day of salvation for them 
that they might profess faith in Jesus. Father, I pray for us who have accepted that invitation into the banquet that we would be faithful in inviting others to simply come and enjoy the glories of Christ. We pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand this morning. We'll sing together and If there's something that you'd like to know more about, maybe you'd like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Christ and how to be a part of this great banquet, we would love to begin that conversation with you. I invite you just, if you would, to come and just meet me here and say, tell me about how I can know Jesus. If you'd like to be a part of this church family and you'd like to unite through membership and say, I want to plant my life here at Boone Trail Baptist Church, I want to invite you to come. We would love to begin that conversation with you this day. If you need to come, you come this morning. Let's sing together.